You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Metamorphosis. My name is Donovan. My name is Faye. Here on the Metamorphosis podcast, we are interviewing various physicians across BC with the aim of learning more about their specialties and helping medical students navigate their medical careers. Our guest today is Dr. Card. Hi, guys. Dr. Card is the site director of the Prince George Family Practice Residency and a practicing rural family physician here in the North. Could you tell us about your background and why you chose to pursue medicine? Sure. Um, so I actually I actually grew up in the Vancouver area, but um, in the suburbs and on a farm. So I had a, a rural urban upbringing. My, my first year out of high school, I, I, I went to university and my first summer I started planting trees and that was based out of Prince George. And so that's what brought me to Prince George. Um, I, I had never been here before, didn't know anybody here, um, but ended up planting trees for 13 years. So that really kind of indoctrinated me to the North and, and to small communities and uh, to some degree to kind of remote rural. Um, and uh, so that's that's what rooted me in the North. Um, I never wanted to be a doctor, never grew up wanting to be a doctor. And in fact, um, in my first year of university, um, I remember very distinctly a biology class. I was at Simon Fraser University at the time. And um, there was about 300 students in the class. And I remember the instructor um, way down at the front of the room um, asked, you know, so who wants to be a doctor? And like everybody's hand went up. And I I remember thinking, you know, you, you guys are idiots. Like, who wants to go to school for, for you know, eight years for, for a job? And and it's funny, you know, perceptions. At that point, eight years to me was like grade four to grade 12, right? Like, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and and I must admit, I, I chuckled inside when, you know, everyone put their hands up and, and the professor is like, well, none of you are going to make it. And I was just kind of, I was kind of smug. You know, fast forward a number of years and and um, some kind of real life experience later and and uh, I was working in the bush one summer. It was actually the summer of, of 2000 and I was on a contract out of McKenzie, which is two hours north of Prince George. And, um, you know, working working for a forestry contractor, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting lifestyle because each contract is different. So it's not like someone who's paid 25 bucks an hour and you have consistency you're paid based on kind of how much work you get done. And, and some contracts are really good and really lucrative and some are really bad. And this particular contract was bad. And so, you know, it gets you to thinking, and I've been doing this for a long time and realized this isn't something I can do forever. And it just so happened that we were within kind of radio station range. So every time we're going to and from the, the forestry work site, you know, the, the local radio would be on. And that's when they were having the physician strike here in Prince George. So that was all over the news and and that got me thinking, you know, it's um it would be very interesting. It'd be a very interesting job. Um I saw it as a job, not as a a passion or a calling. Um I saw it as an opportunity to do something that would be um in demand, so not boom bust like forestry was. Um I saw it as an opportunity to do something that would be well compensated that would give me lots of autonomy. Um, I could live where I want to live, work when I want to work. You know, that's kind of what got me thinking about it and into it. I, I'll fully admit I, I knew nothing about being a physician at that time. I, I knew nothing about what the job entailed. I don't have any uh, family members that are, are, are docs um, and, and so no one to kind of mentor me into it. But I was thinking of kind of the, the, the business side and, and that's, that's when I started thinking about medicine. And um, so I went, I went, back to schools. There was a chunk of time there where I was just in the bush, like all year long. 
So I started going back to school and got my prerequisites. You needed those for UBC at the time and then applied to the Northern Medical Program. And so um, I was a member of the NMP from 2004 to 2008. So that was the first class through, um, which was an awesome experience. And I did my two-year post-grad residency training here in Prince George. And my first year out, that was 2010, 2008 to, to 2010. And then my first year out, I did locums. So that's like basically substitute teacher in the doctor world. I did a bunch of those in Prince George. Um, I did some in the city. My, my family, my wife's family, they're all still in the same area. Um, and I did some rural locums and uh, the rural stuff I loved, like I kind of suspected I would. And um, I wound up signing a contract and working in McKenzie for, for six years. And um, that was an interesting chunk of time for me because um, when I signed on there, it was a community in crisis, meaning there were no docs and the hospital was closing and, and you know, it was, it was a bit of a political hotbed. And uh, once again, you know, I seem to make these decisions in my life where I'm completely naive, but they, they tend to pan out. Um, and that was another example, you know, I, when, when I talk to students now, you know, the advice I give is, well, be careful with these places, you'll get worked to death. But the reality is um, it was actually great because there was no medical culture there. So I could, I could establish the culture and, and recruit accordingly. And um, within a year and a half, we were fully staffed and uh, they were all Canadian trained docs. And, and it was just a blast to work there because everyone was uh, very like-minded in terms of stage of career and, and, um, and, you know, the, the medical culture was very healthy because of that. And, uh, so that was that was lots of fun. Um, I did that for six years, um, all the while staying rooted to Prince George because that's where my wife's job was. Um, we went to to Mackenzie initially when when she had uh, her maternity leave with with our daughter, um, and then she managed to take some extra leave. So I mean, we weren't really apart until the last year of that one. Um, but she she had to return to her job, and so that kind of tethered us back to Prince George. We still had our house here and everything, and that coincided with our daughter starting school. So. You know, the time was right, I guess, to retreat back to the city, but um, I, I somewhat refused. And so my clinical practice is still rural. Um, I don't do any clinical work here in Prince George. I, uh, I transitioned my practice over to the Robson Valley. And so I do a partial uh, contract out in Vailmount. And then in Prince George, I do work for UBC for the post-grad program. So the very program I went through, actually. So, so that takes us up to, to present day. There's lots of other bits and pieces in there that I picked up along the way in terms of other sort of hats and responsibilities that I wear. And a lot of that, a lot of these things, to be totally honest, were, were not, they were never kind of goals or aspirations. They were things that, you know, you just kind of stumble into along the way and, and uh, it, it makes life interesting. But certainly I'd have to say I'm professionally very happy uh, and it's because of a lot of the other things that I do and um, so I, I one of one of the reasons I, I work with the med students is is to kind of pass some of that that knowledge along because it's it's something I felt was was lacking and it took me even a couple of years of private practice till I started to figure those pieces out but so that that brings us to today Sure. I think I want to go just back a little bit um, to the time when you were going through the Northern Medical Program. How did you decide that you wanted to pursue family medicine? I think for me, it was always the default. So again, I went into medicine not knowing medicine, right? So I didn't know what a radiologist was, and I didn't know what a surgeon did. And um, the first two years of medical school are all classroom-based, and um, I guess maybe I should have had more initiative to go and figure out what these specialties do, but I 
never did. I, I, I was just kind of enjoying the trip, um, which is kind of my personality. And, and so I didn't really know what these specialties were until I rotated through in third year. And I, I wouldn't say by then it's too late, but by then it is getting too late for some specialties. That said, I, I didn't want to go and dive into the world of a five-year specialty residency and multiple fellowships to try and find a job. I'm also a realist and um, I want something that's practical. But I also remember back to the, the tree planting pickup truck in McKenzie on, on the Bush Road. And I, I remember what twigged in my head when, when I was hearing about you know, the news reports from Prince George and the physicians. And I remember why I wanted to become a doctor. And it was autonomy. It was the availability to work anywhere, including these small remote communities and the availability to work part-time and, and pursue my, my recreational activities and, and everything else. And, and really, family medicine was the best match for that. So on one hand, it was kind of path of least resistance, shortest residency. But on the other hand, it, it, it also made the most sense. And really, when I reflect back on why I got into it in the first place, it matched up very well with that. So I don't know that there was a time where I said, I'm going to do family practice. It just kind of, it was an evolution and it was, um, I wouldn't say destiny. I'm not that kind of person, but you know, it, it just kind of played out and that's, that's the way it went. And I'll certainly say there were some specialty rotations I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. um, orthopedics, for example, I, I loved it here in part, uh, you know, the preceptors here were amazing. And, and so the education was great, but I also recognized that it would be five years in a city plus a fellowship plus a bit of a crapshoot in terms of whether or not you can land a job. So um, family mm -hmm. practice. You're in a bit of a unique position as I mean, the first person to go through the NMP. Could you tell us a bit about what that was like? I was, it was exciting. It was scary. Um, so exciting in that um, like we were a huge novelty in the community. And so it seemed like any, community event or party we were invited to um, mm -hmm. like as a class and uh, the preceptors here at the hospital were super enthusiastic um, so you know that was awesome it was great to take advantage of that but it was it was terrifying in that we were true guinea pigs and so we're getting a lot of our education across a, a video feed and we we were constantly like oh, are we getting enough are we getting a good education and uh, one thing about med students is we are an insecure lot um, and we were, we were constantly kind of questioning that the, the value of our education and we didn't have second year students when we were in first year or third year, like we had nobody we could talk to and, you know, you couldn't talk to any, anyone from UBC, like this had never been done. And so, um, there was no one there to reassure us. You know, we had a lot of preceptors here that were new. They had never worked with medical students, nobody to reassure us. And so it, it was scary. And, um, I think what we ended up doing is, is as soon as fourth year hit and, and you could do electives across the province and across the country, you know, everyone got out of Dodge. And I remember my first elective was an ortho trauma elective at VGH. And um, it took me all of one single call shift to realize the value of my education here. And um, I was working with a second year specialty resident. So I was, I was a newly minted fourth year med student working with a second year orthopedics resident. And, and this resident, uh, she was fantastic. Um, to work with and, and a great teacher, but um, I, I quickly realized she was doing things as a second year specialty resident that I did in third year. And so in terms of hands-on and experience, we were miles ahead and, you know, and, and reconvening with my classmates, that was everybody's experience. So it was, it was really cool to see that 
hey, this this experiment worked. We actually we actually won the lottery. Really, it it was fantastic. I can say to to this day, just to look at this from the other side of the fence, you know, um, with my six years in McKenzie and and even now out in Vailmont, we we have med students through all the time, and and the med students from this program, from the Northern Medical Program, are consistently stronger and. You know, I often thought, well, geez, maybe that's my bias. And so I'll ask, ask my colleagues who went to different med schools or, or different UBC sites and uh, they would they would back that up. So um, the the experience was wonderful. It was it was scary, but in, in the end, very rewarding. And it was certainly the right choice. So are there any other specialties that you were interested in? I know you mentioned orthopedics, but maybe you thought it wasn't, you know, as practical as family medicine. Were there any other specialties that you considered? Um, you know, that, I mean, that's a tough question. I, I didn't really seriously consider any of them. And part of it was I was married and I am married, same woman, bless her. Um, um, part of it was that I had my wife and, and she had her job and, um, you know, she was a scientist down in Vancouver before she moved up to Prince George. And so she gave up a career, um, and started another one. And I wasn't about to kind of make her do that again. So plus I'm, I'm not fond of cities and uh, they're great to visit, but I'm not fond of living there. So, I mean, it was those other things that kind of kept me, kept me on the family practice track. There's certain parts about a number of specialties that are cool, but at the end of the day, I like the diversity of, of family and, and I love the hands-on of rural. And, and so it was just the right combination for me. So no, I never really seriously considered anything else. Orthopedics was the closest I got. Uh, so you mentioned that you did a year locuming after your residency. Can you tell us about that? And can you tell us a little bit about locuming as well? Sure. Um, so anytime I talk to students in residence, you know, I, I always share my experience, but I always tell them it's my experience and what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. And just because I think rural is wonderful um, for the same reasons I love it, you might hate it. And so I'm, I, I always temper what I say um, with one exception and that's locuming. And so I tell, you know, all the family practice residents I talk to, and I try and send the same message to, to med students, but locuming is like test driving a car before you buy it. I think it's, it's an absolute must. I saw some of my colleagues go through residency and it's very tempting to sign on. You'll get an offer, you'll get recruited. Some of them that did sign on really regretted it because you don't know what you don't know. And so locuming gives you a chance to try even even two practices in the same building can be night and day difference. And so locuming gives you a chance to try different types of practices, different uh, different styles of practice, different communities of practice, different medical communities. And so really it is vitally important to, to kind of dip your toe in a, a few different ponds before you decide which one you're going to dive into. And um, so I do feel quite strongly that that's a, that's a necessary step. So I, I caution people against uh, committing to something without without kind of like, it can be, it can be really, I'll, I'll be honest, it can be really hard to avoid making a commitment to somebody because, you know, th these are often your preceptors that you feel indebted to from your education. And after so many years of school, it can sound really, really tempting, but um, I, I think, you know, opportunities will always be there in one way, shape or form. And so um, just minimum of six months, just give yourself that six months to, to try different things. And the other piece I say is, you know, even if you're not interested in rural, do one rural locum, just one. And um, what I found, and again, this is my experience with my colleagues, but anybody who finishes residency and they don't sign up for the rural locum program, they don't tend to do it six months later. 
And the reason being there's, there's some paperwork involved in everything else. And when you're finishing residency, you're doing that paperwork anyway. And so if you add on that application and then you've got, you know, kind of membership in that program, then you can do these rural locums. And um, so that's the other piece of advice, you know, along with locuming is sign up for the rural locum program. There's no commitment. There's no money. It's no extra effort to sign up for it when you're signing up for everything else. And it just gives you an opportunity to try the full diversity of family practice in terms of, you know, your, your locum experiences. And so was it during your locum that you, I think you kind of already had an idea about rural medicine before that, but it was during your locum that that solidified in your mind? You know, I'm, I'm so short answer is yes. The, the longer answer is I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but despite my, my rural chops going into med school and, and, you know, kind of that, the, the reasons I went in and all of that, um, once I got into med school, all I could think about was the clinical training. You know, it's just overwhelming. You're overwhelmed with stuff. And so I wasn't really thinking about practicing and where I'm practicing and how I'm practicing. I was just thinking about, you know, learning all this stuff. And so when I finished and I'm talking residency, like after six years, I, I mean, I knew what rural was. I certainly knew the rural communities because I'd been there before in my previous career, but it never really sunk in how it would be different until I did my locums. And, you know, my, my first locum was, was a really interesting experience. And it happened to be in Mackenzie. I, I should say my first rural locum. I remember because my, my first call shift, it was right before Christmas. And um, I remember waking up and there was 18 inches of snow on the ground. So it was a typical Mackenzie dusting. I went into the hospital and uh, I remember we we're just getting ready to start clinic. And I got paged overhead stat to emerge. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is how they page to emerge. You know, not knowing that, well, actually that's a big deal. And uh I went in and, and there was a, a gentleman in a trauma bay that the paramedics had brought in. And I guess he had a bypass graft done on his uh, femoral artery and, and his wound opened up and, and his graft blew and there was blood everywhere. And um, they don't train you for that. You know, there's no, there's no vascular surgery block. Um, certainly nothing for a place with no OR or, you know, procedural facility. And so, you know, that, that's, that's rural medicine. It's, it's here's your problem. This is what you have. These are the people you have. Fix it. And on one hand, it's terrifying, but on the other hand, it's fascinating and it's exciting. And so, you know, if you've got that moderate amount of risk taker in you and, and, and you know, you like to be kind of engaged in something fully, it was terrifying at the time. But, you know, when I look back on it and the gentleman still has his leg, um, when I look back on it, you know, it's, it's incredibly satisfying. And I'll remember that for the rest of my career. I'm not going to remember the, you know, 32nd diabetic that I saw that had high blood pressure in the office. I mean, that's, that's pretty boring routine stuff. So my love for rural did solidify in my locums and, and it really dawned on me what, what it really means to be responsible for a community because during that locum, I was the only physician on the ground, 5,000 people. And, you know, as I was walking back to the hotel, I remember thinking, whatever happens here, it's on me. I have to deal with it. It's terrifying. It's it's weighty. It's heavy, but it's it's also kind of exciting, and uh, it's even more exciting once you're done and and you look back on it. And I've got a number of cases that I look back on and and I just smile. You know, it, it, it's just so satisfying. So definitely didn't really grasp that until I was on the ground and experienced it. And I can tell you guys what it's like. I can tell you what I experienced, but it's not going to mean anything to you until you have that moment for yourself. And and. For one person, that might just be the worst moment of their life. And for someone else, it might be even more exciting. You know, everyone's going to handle that differently. But you, you, there are things you have to experience. You can't just have them explained to you. 
Could you tell us the differences between rural family practice and like family practice in an urban setting, for example, in Vancouver? What are the main differences? Sure. So, I, I mean, the main difference is scope of practice. So, you know, in a rural site, um, like I'm, I'm three hours from anywhere where I work right now. Um, I shouldn't say I have two hours to Hinton, Alberta. Um, but, you know, your patients don't want to travel. Um, winter roads are dangerous. There's a cost to traveling. Um, so, you know, you, you, you work things up further where you are. If I was in an office, you know, in Langley and chances are I'm in a medical building, chances are there's specialists in that building. If I have someone with a GI complaint, you know, I've got someone two doors down that that's a gastroenterologist. I'm, I'm probably going to write a referral and they're probably going to wander down the hallway. Whereas when you're in a rural community, you deal with it. Um, so that's the office piece. So the office piece is quite different. But then in rural, you add to it the fact that you're running a merge too. So if you see something in the office that's starting to get scary or, or that you're more worried about, you're not just pushing it off. You're not just calling the ambulance to take them to emerge or telling them to drive to emerge. You're walking them down the hallway or, or you know, across the street or whatever the physical setup is uh, to emerge. And then you're carrying on with your care. So it is full scope care. Like I said, for better or worse, you know, some people that drives them nuts. I mean, it certainly would be easier, I think, in a city where you wouldn't have to deal with that stuff and, and you could just pass it along. But I think especially as as a newer doc, you know, you learn the full set of skills. So you want to keep them and you want to use them. And and so it, it was an easy transition as a new doc to, to move into that sort of full scope, scary sort of rural practice setting. But uh, yeah, it is, it is night and day difference. So I have a two-part question. So the first part is, what is your favorite part about practicing rural family? And the second part is, what's maybe the most challenging part? Um, that's a tough question. You know, my favorite part is like asking, you know, what what's my favorite song? Um, it depends on my mood. Um, you know, I think my favorite part is, is, it's tough. You know, the full scope practice is huge. Like I love the office emerge mix. Um, but I think, you know, you just, you develop a different relationship with your patients in a rural community as well. And those relationships are awesome. And that would probably take the cake to be honest, but, um, you know, there's a number of things I like, but I, yeah, I would say, I would say it's probably the depth of, of relationship, uh, that you develop with, with the patients. Um, so the most challenging part is, is lack of resources. So, you know, you can have one of these patients come in at, at, 10 at night, um, someone you know very well and you care about, and um, you know they could have a hot stroke. What can you do? You need to get them to a scanner and you need to literally screw around trying to set up an ambulance. And by the time the ambulance gets them to a CT, they probably miss the window for any sort of treatment. So, you know, you're under-resourced and it can be frustrating. Something as simple as a simple transport can also be very frustrating. So to go back to the, the stroke example, you know, you can tell across the room what's going on, but yet, you know, in order to activate the patient transport network and to get the patient moved, sometimes it can take an hour or two. And, um, you know, that can be incredibly challenging. And um, so I would, I would say, I would say trying to, trying to deal with resource scarcity in those sorts of settings would be the biggest frustration. In the same vein there, uh, is there any myth about rural family practice or family practice generally that you would like to dispel? Uh, um, you know, I, I think the biggest one is when people come out of training, they say, I can't do it. 
because of the fear, because it like, how can I, how can I run and emerge? How can I be everything for, for this community? And, and I, I suffered the same thing. And I, I often say, you know, we, we graduate from these programs with all the competence we need, but not the confidence. And, and that's human nature. For me, my aha moment was in my, my first locum, actually, when I quickly realized because I was the only person on the ground and they were closing the hospital, um, I realized if I wasn't there, it would be the nurses and, you know, the, the janitorial staff, you know, like coming together and doing what they could for a patient. And so I quickly realized that I'm not perfect, but I'm adding to this team in a positive way. And that took a lot of the pressure off and, and made me realize, hey, I can I can contribute here in a positive manner. Once once I kind of once I unloaded that from myself, then then, you know, I started to become kind of more comfortable. And I to be clear, I'm still scared every time I'm on call. But I'm, I also realized that, you know, that that stroke patient, you know, you, you can't expect to have the same outcome as you would if they walk through the doors at VGH and you've got a stroke team. And too many people hold themselves to that account. And, and you just you can't you have to, you know, recognize the setting, recognize the resources and, um, and and set your expectations accordingly. And that does not mean that we can accept a second tier of care. I mean, I, we still have to give great care and we still have to strive for the best we can but i think you need to kind of give yourself a break and realize that you can do this you can contribute in a positive way and you know the biggest lesson for me has been from my patients and and the gratitude that they've shown me over the years uh, it's been very very clear how much my my work's been appreciated so the myth of not being able to step into that sort of care or needing backup or whatever that that would be the myth that i think i would I would say needs to needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's super intimidating. Like the idea of being a physician in a rural community where maybe you're like the only family doctor there, like the only surgeon in the whole town. I remember my first my first number of locums when I was in McKenzie. I remember every time I walked through Emerge and through the trauma room and and looked at the ventilator. I remember just thinking, "Crap!" You know, I was scared of the thing, and um, and then I needed it. And it was just fine. It was just fine. You have to trust your training. And since, since using it, it's not scary anymore. You know, so um, it is very easy to get scared. But once, once you kind of start to get some experience behind you, that, that fear does start to melt away. But not completely. Never completely. Yeah, never. <laughs> Which is healthy. Yeah. If there was no fear, I'd be worried that you're probably a bit of a mm-hmm. narcissist. <laughs> so you made a really interesting point earlier about how I think when you said you were first starting in McKenzie, maybe after you'd locumed, you were the only doc there. And so there was no medical culture. Was it McKenzie? Yeah. Okay. And so could you talk a bit about a bit more about that? Cause I thought that was really interesting how you said you were able to kind of build it from the ground up. So what did you build and maybe how is it different from the medical culture in other places? Sure. So there's, I mean, there's, there's lots of pieces to, well, what is medical culture? Um, I, I can tell you that, historically in that community it'd be like one doc billing about a million bucks in fee for service and burning out after a year there there was about five years of that prior to me arriving and it was a certain type of practice where you know they were seeing 55 patients a day and you know everyone else would get shunted to emerge and they'd see them through emerge and me starting there gave me the opportunity to change how we practiced i brought in students i brought in residents um, even something simple like, you know, physician's office um, and then an exam room. Um, what we did is is consolidated f- 
five physician offices into a single room. So like a group office, which is like a total cultural shift for some people that have been practicing for years and they've got their own physical space. But that enabled us to, to create the space to have more examination rooms and then support the students. So it could be something like that. But it's, it's, also, it's also like the, the type of practice. So how much narcotic gets prescribed versus same thing with antibiotics or benzodiazepines. The interesting thing with, with McKenzie, because everybody that was recruited in there was a recent grad of, of, a, of a UBC residency program at the time. I think there's a couple from, from elsewhere now, but um, we always joked that, that you know, we're in our R3, our R4, our R5 as, as the years went on because it just felt like residency, except our preceptors weren't around. But, you know, that's a culture. You know, I would say at least once a week, we all got together, all the docs and, and socialized at someone's house. And we unloaded and um, it probably what well, would have been totally inappropriate if a patient was there. Um, but, you know, it was it was in our circle and it was confidential within that circle. But that was that was counseling for us. Um, that was how we got by and how we dealt with difficult cases and, and how we you know, didn't didn't burn out. And again, that's that's medical culture versus, you know, there are some communities and this is more of an issue in a small community, because when you're in a big community, you know, there's not one culture. You can create your own or you can escape it. But when you're in a small community, whatever culture is there, everyone, everyone's in it, whether you like it or not. And so you can imagine if, if you're a brand new grad and you're looking for a spot and you move to this small community and there's one doc there who's in his 70s who prescribes narcotics to everybody, another doc who's, you know, got some really, really strange, maybe strong religious beliefs or, you know, something and, you know, you're seeing their patients through emerge and you're trying to kind of practice the way you've been taught and it kind of conflicts with what you're seeing from these other two. Um, that can be challenging to navigate. Um, maybe they don't want to share call or, or they're not as agreeable as you think. Us, us doctors are an ordinary bunch and you'd be surprised at how, how conflict can kind of seep into the game. It happens all the time. And that's, that's a medical culture. And so, it's, it's actually, a, it's actually a really big deal. And so, you know, if you're thinking once you're done, if you're thinking about signing on somewhere, I, I would suggest not just to do the locum, but, but, you know, like pay close attention to who's there, who's practicing there. Are they happy? How are they practicing? What does that look like? You know, does it mesh with, with what you want? Because these things, you never think about it in med school. You don't think about it in residency, but you sure will think about it a lot. If, if, if you, you know, plant on the ground somewhere and find out you're not getting along with people. So it's, it's really incredibly important. So, I mean, that was, that was like the biggest fluke ever is, you know, I should never have stepped into the mess in McKenzie, but at the same time, what an opportunity because it was a clean slate. And so it was a fresh rebuild and, um, and credit to some of my colleagues that, that I recruited there who helped with the work and, and kind of helped the whole thing snowball. You managed to recruit as many people as you needed within a year. Um, yeah, it was about a year and a half. Could you could you talk a bit about that? You obviously had to do some legwork to kind of put Mackenzie on the map and show people that it was a place that they would like to work. Yeah, th well, there were. I mean, let me start by saying, you know, anybody who's good at sales believes in their product. Um, otherwise, people will see through them. And and I loved it there. I loved rural. I love rural. Um, but I I also loved the community. I was, I was still connected to the program here where I did my residency training. And so I was able to talk to the residents and, and let them, let them know. And I was able to talk to someone I did residency with. It was about 10 months after I signed my contract that I got um, one of my co-residents. So he had been working now for almost two years. 
um, he signed on and one of the newly graduating residents from, from this program here also signed on. So they both started at, at about the 10 month point from me starting. So now we were three. Um, and at that point, there was also a South African doc there that, that Northern Health recruited that was there for a bit and then, and then he left. And, and when he left, one of the ones I recruited brought one of his friends and it just, it just builds like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, it got to the point where there were four positions. These were contract positions. So um, it's not like fee for service where wh whoever can show up and they just bill and they compete against each other. These are, uh, you know, contract positions. And so we ended up, you know, doing kind of part-time variants and sharing them. And so at one point, I think we were seven of us for four positions. So we were flush with physicians. And, and the other wonderful thing about what happened there is that the docs that were there lived there. They bought houses there. They put their kids into school there. And what you often see in rural places is docs will come in because the money is much better in rural. And so docs will come in and they'll, they'll maintain a, a home in the city. They'll fly up and, and do their weeks and then fly back. And that, that really, and to some degree, full disclosure, to some degree, that's what I'm doing. And, and I'm wrestling with that. Uh, and trying to find a way to be more than just that clinic doc for the community. Um, because I think a lot of what we do is well beyond the, the walls of the hospital and the clinic. It's community leadership and, and you know, leading by example and, and being a community member. And what's happening in Mackenzie, you know, encompasses all of that. And it's just, it's amazing to see, you know, uh, again, a lot of these part-time models that are popping up, they don't have that community commitment piece. So more medical culture stuff. What does a typical week look like for you? Um, so I, so my typical clinic week. So, I mean, I've got my clinic time when I'm in, in community out in Belmont. And um, then I also do some rural locums still. I, I love doing locums. I do most of those in McBride, which is between Prince George and Belmont. But my typical clinic week is, is like a, a nine to five clinic. And roughly every fourth day where I'm on call, where I'm nine to five in the clinic plus on call overnight. And it's really variable. Like sometimes that call is busy. Sometimes it's nothing. So it, it's variable, but I don't know, like even, even in my time in McKenzie where I should have been so busy, I was on like one and two, I still had a lifestyle. So, you know, my daughter would have been under a year because we, we moved. I signed the contract and started my first day of work. She was one month old. And so um, she was pretty fresh. You know, I still saw her every day at lunch after work, I'd come home and the nurses were fantastic, you know, in terms of after hours and kind of managing what came in the door so that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be stuck at the hospital all the time. So there was lots of kind of accessible recreation in town. So, you know, my typical day is really kind of bankers hours unless I'm on call because these small places are so easy to get from A to B. Um, it's, it's really easy to, to, uh, you know, kind of partake in recreation. You just have way more time. So I'd like to talk about lifestyle. I think there's a lot of buzz about it and lots of med students now are kind of considering like their career as more of a job, right? So that they can do more of the things outside that they love, right? Like with their family or their hobbies. Can you talk about what the lifestyle is like as a rural family physician? Yeah. So again, it, it, every rural community is so different. So you guys need to locum. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, it, it really does vary. So I'm, I'm a lifestyle person myself. And I mean, I'm all about part time and having time to kind of do the things I love. I, again, the, the reason I would kind of warn people against going into a situation like I did in McKenzie is because 
you know, you're kind of on the ground and trying to keep an eMERGE open by yourself or with one other doc, you know, you want to be in a strong group of lots of physicians for some reason, you know, and maybe it's because I was fresh out of residency where you work your buns off. And so when you start practicing, you don't like, well, that's nothing. Residency was way harder and you're still working really hard. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was not hard for me to have a good lifestyle and, and it's not hard now. Yes. You're tethered to the hospital when you're on call. Um, you have to be within so many minutes and you have to have your phone on you. And, um, that's, that's a pain, but it's, it's really not that inconvenient. And, uh, you know, when I look at my siblings, they all still live in the city and I look at their lifestyle. Um, they're, they're non-physicians, none of them, but, um, you know, fighting traffic and, and, you know, just to go get groceries can take half an hour because, uh, you know, you need to time your day as to when, when you hit the roads and, and then there's, you know, the cost of things, you know, you go to a rural spot and I bought my house in McKenzie for $85,000. I paid cash, you know, so, so you, you, you don't have that same pressure to bring in the money plus, plus like rural is really well compensated. So there's lifestyle opportunities there in terms of the finances, but there's also lifestyle opportunities in terms of the time. That said, I've seen I've seen people go the other way where they put themselves into a situation where they they wind up overcommitted to work and and really extended on a call schedule. Um, I, I would really encourage people, you know, if you're if you're have a good idea of what you want, but you're not sure how to get it, talk to a mentor, reach out to a mentor, whoever that is in your personal network. Um, but ask around. There's there's you know lots of people that'd be happy to share their experiences and kind of help you find what works for you. So I know you're the director of the postgrad training programs here. What kind of person are you looking for for family medicine? Um, so I mean I'm I'm all about rural. Um, you know, hopefully no one from Prince George hears this, but uh, you know I, I I'm I'm a rural keener for sure, and and so I, I like to see people that are genuine and enthusiastic, and and really want to be that kind of full service rural physician. Or, you know, if they want to work in town, be a full service GP in town, you know, do some obstetrics, do some eMERGE, manage some inpatients. Those, those are the pieces I'm looking for, you know, in, in conversations with, with UBC and, and how we're building selection of, of our residents. Um, you know, my, my mantra is, is two things. Number one, you know, we want to have someone that, that's, that's kind of got the academic cred to survive the program because the program here is tough. And so we want, we want people that are capable of, of, you know, excelling in the program. Uh, but number two, we want people that are committed to what we're doing, meaning they have to want to be here in the community and, and they also have to want to do the sort of training we offer. So if you want to be that GP in Langley, who's going to refer the GI pain two doors down the hallway, you're going to resent the amount of critical care. You're going to resent the amount of emergency medicine. You're going to resent the intensity of our internal medicine rotation if you're training here. And so it's, it's really important that we get candidates here that know what we're all about and that want that because there's a huge need for it. If you want to practice rural, you need those skills. You know, you, you don't want to go to a, a site where, you know, it's laid back and it's great and, and you have a great two years of residency, but at the end of it, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not ready for running, running the show. So so it's just, it's a matter of finding the right person for us. And, and, you know, in our case, it's, it's the, the strong academics or, or sufficiently strong academics, but truly buying in, knowing what we're doing, knowing what we're all about and buying into that. 
So Dr. Card runs the rural med interest group here in the north. And one of the things that we always appreciate about you is you're kind of willing to talk about the financial side of things. And so I wanted to ask you, because I think, I think it's something that doesn't get talked about very much, you know, could you talk about fee-for-service versus the alternate payment plans? Is that something that's kind of only available to physician like rural physicians urban and family docs or is it a specialist thing too um the, the minute i give you an answer it's going to be out of date and uh so so the landscape is changing so when when i went into practice absolutely it was like a, it was a rural thing and it was a fairly rare rural thing uh but new grads all not all but the majority of new grads aren't looking for fee-for-service. They're looking for some sort of alternate compensation. The government has kind of cued in on this, and, and actually the new physician master agreement that we just ratified, there's extensive pieces in there about um, AP contracts, alternate payment contracts. There's also their, their whole kind of urgent primary care centers uh, that they're looking at doing. They're looking at funding those with AP contracts. And so it, it's it's it's... I think by the time you guys are done, you know, in the next four, five, six years, um, there's going to be more contract possibilities. Even even right now today, like hospitalists in the city are GPs working in hospitals um, and, and they're paid uh, very rarely by fee-for-service. They're usually on some form of contract. So um, there's lots out there. Um, my thoughts on it, I mean, obviously my bias is towards an alternate payment scheme of some sort. I'm on what's called a service contract. Um, which is basically I commit to so many hours meeting the needs of the community and I'm paid a, a lump sum of money, you know, broken down every month. The reason I love that is because it lets me put the focus on medicine. So when I worked fee-for-service and I did doing locums, I did fee-for-service, you know, it's always in the back of your mind how many people I need to see to cover my overhead and then, you know, how many people I'm seeing, how much money I'm making. And, and the, the sad reality is that system benefits financially benefits those that see a lot of people and one can argue that if you're seeing a lot of people either you're really good which is possible i'm sure that that excellence is out there but you're 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 just as blessed financially if you're really bad and you're just cranking through people or if you're running the sort of practice where you're not seeing any complicated patients and you're just kind of you know uti sore throat you know kind of crank, cranking through numbers and that's, that's, I struggle with that in terms of, you know, well, what's good medicine and, um, you know, on contract, if I have someone come in and you know, they have a, a complicated issue or a number of issues, I'm not penalized to, to take time and deal with that. So I just, I, I feel so strongly for me that that that's a good way forward. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. Um, that said, you know, the, 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 the pushback from the government is always going to be, you know, how do we get productivity? Because, Rightfully so, some people might be on a contract and might not be working as hard, right? Like a lot of these fee-for-service docs, love it or hate it, a lot of them work incredibly hard. Um, you know, so, some of them earn every every penny they make. But uh, I think in rural, the nice thing about rural is if you're on a contract in rural and you're just kind of dragging your feet and not working hard, you're just going to bite yourself because you're also covering a merge. And so if you're not seeing them in the clinic, guess what? They're going mm -hmm. to emerge and you're getting called in after hours to deal with them. So it, it actually kind of polices itself in that sort of setting. I'm, I'm sure as the government looks to kind of new styles of contracts and, you know, they have things like outflow penalties, which let's say you've got a panel and you're paid for a panel and one of your patients goes to a walk-in clinic or an eMERGE, you, you lose money because of that. So there's, I guess, different ways to address that. But 
I don't want to wander into the weeds. Compensation is a complex issue and there's kind of lots and lots of different variations, but I will say that it's changing rapidly and there's lots of options available. And I would kind of give the same advice that, that I gave about the, the, the medical culture piece, which is when you're starting to get to the point where you're getting closer, start asking people, finding mentors, talking to people about what's out there uh, and seeing different sort of, sort of models and, and doing locums. Because again, doing locums, you're going to, you know, interact with people in different communities. You can find out different, uh, uh, you know, different sort of uh, scenarios. Okay, so I think we're getting close to the end of the interview. But I wanted to ask you for current medical students, for example, first year, second years that are going through the process right now, thinking about what, what they might want to specialize in. Do you have any advice that you'd like to share? Um, so it, it really it's follow your heart. Um, not your fears. And and often people are driven by fear or ego and, and you wind up specializing or subspecializing. For me, I was lucky. I always had that, you know, kind of quote unquote call to medicine that I experienced to reflect back on. And so I could say, well, why did I get into this? And, you know, it wasn't for prestige. It wasn't for, you know, any of that. It was, it was, I, I remember back to those things. It was that flexibility, that autonomy, that, that portability, and so it was easy for me to kind of use that as a check-in. But um, my advice would be try and stay true to yourself. There is a trend nationally to not just se- not just specialize, but subspecialize. As, as a rural doc, that's that's nails on a chalkboard for me because even, even people that go into specialties, you know, like we need more general surgeons. We need more general psychiatrists. We need more general internists. I personally feel, and this is my bias, but I personally feel your career is a lot more rewarding when you deal with an entire person, as opposed to being the expert in the left index finger, um, that'd be kind of boring, but you know, maybe it's prestigious and, you know, maybe it's, um, it's safe because you are an absolute expert, you know, every single thing about that small portion of the body that you're subspecialized in, but no, follow, follow your heart and, and don't get, don't get sucked into anything. And, you know, whether it's rural or urban, whatever that is for you, whether it's specialty or general practice, you know, that's a very individual choice, but be, beware of the pack. And we, we experienced it in my group and it's, I'm sure the same uh, from talking to students now. And, uh, uh, you know, don't be, don't be scared to kind of follow your heart. You were mentioning at first ER call in McKenzie yeah. with the guy with the graph that had blown open. Could you tell us what you did? Just, just for curiosity's sake, if you sure. can. Sure. So um, panicked. With, without <laughs> without the outward signs of panic because you've got a team around you and and you know if you lose it um, your team will lose it right um, so moral pressure point to slow the bleeding um, direct pressure obviously was was already applied when I got there um, so we applied the pressure point basically sutured the crap out of the thing to, to bring it back together to hope that that would tamponade the bleed underneath and we kept the pressure pressure point on until we were able to fly the patient out there was all sorts of complexity in arranging that transfer. It took six hours to get the patient out, but there was sufficient blood supply either getting through our, our pressure point or, or collateral that, that you could still get a, a bit of a cap refill on the lower leg. So he was still getting some perfusion, which was great. His vitals were rock stable. He didn't lose so much blood that he was in any sort of trouble. Uh, we never even had to hang a blood product on him. Um, so, you know, it worked out wonderfully. That said, I don't know what the vascular surgeon thought of me when he was trying to open the wound. 
because I had all these kind of panic sutures at various levels trying to close everything off. And it was probably a bit of a mess. But um, again, at the end of the day, it was it was a good outcome, which was was fantastic. But, you know, it goes back to the point where, you know, you look at the resources you have and and you make it work. It can be it can be fascinating. And you, know, you start talking to rural docs. They have better stories than me about different things that they've tried and they've used to, to save a life. And uh, it's really it's really cool. I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you very much, Dr. Card. All right. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 